Wednesday night Bible study. Glad you're here, and um, I'm going to teach tonight. And uh, uh, sometimes you get spurred to to a, a you know to a lesson that, as you're talking with people during the week and you uh, about things, and you realize that there's probably a lot of people that wonder about certain scriptures and things in the scripture, but uh, they don't, they may not ask because they don't want to feel like, well, I don't want people to think I don't know what I'm talking about, or that I hate people think I'm an idiot, you know, I don't, uh, you know, you, you got to ask, you got to study, you got to learn, there's nothing, uh, we're all still trying to learn in the scripture, and I, I've said this before one time years ago, and I still mean it today. Uh, everybody's green in some area. Now, don't be offended at that. That's uh, I'm, what I'm saying is nobody knows it all. You, we've, we're all learning and studying and trying to get closer to God and learn some things. And and so uh, I want to I want to teach on something tonight. Uh, uh, really, a phrase that we see in the Scripture and try to bring some understanding to it tonight. And because, um, uh, uh, be honest, when I first got in church, I didn't know what it meant. I just uh, knew what I knew, and I said, if I don't understand that, I'll just breeze right on by it. Uh, I'm not going to uh, trip up over it. I, uh, if you don't understand one thing in Scripture, that doesn't mean that you don't know what you do know. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are like, well, if I don't know this, I probably don't know anything. No, that's not true. <laughs> you you got to learn. So uh, in Acts chapter 7, I want to read from uh, a portion of Scripture where Stephen had just preached a message, and the, they were very upset with the things. Of course, he was preaching about Jesus, and so uh, they, uh, the Jews were very upset with him and were about to stone him. And in verse 55, it says, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And tonight, I'm going to uh, teach on that little phrase that's in there, the right hand of God. The right hand of God. Let's pray for wisdom and understanding in our lesson tonight. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, giving us the ability to learn and know. You said if we lack wisdom to ask for it. Tonight, God, we're going to look into your word and and just learn of you, learn more about you, God, so we can help reach this world. We thank you for it tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name that you'd bless us. Amen. All right, give him one more hand for his word tonight. I'm thankful for the Lord. Thankful for the Lord tonight. The right hand of God. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but you be honest. Uh, You'd really rather nobody ever ask you what that means if you were trying to witness to them. You got Trinitarians at your work or in your school or somewhere, you, you hope that they never say, well, explain this to me. What do you mean by Jesus being on the right hand of God if, 
if they're not three. And so, uh, but here's the thing. We believe there's only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's Scripture. It can't never change. We believe that. We've, we've grasped that. We believe that this one God was manifest in the flesh. For great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. So we know that, that we believe that to be Jesus Christ. When the uh, angel was talking to Joseph and Mary, he said, you're going to have a son and call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. So we believe that uh, when they had the baby and looked and called him Jesus, that, that we knew that the name of God walking on this earth was Jesus. Jesus said himself, I and my Father are one. Paul said there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so on and on and on, the Scripture declares that uh, there's one God and we believe it. But even believing that, we can get stumped if we don't know how to uh, interpret or understand certain scriptures. And if all people ever do is read the New Testament and never read the Old Testament, then they will never be able to fully explain who Jesus is. That's a fact. If, uh, if all you have is the New Testament, you're going to be confused about who Jesus is. If you don't understand and if you don't read the Old Testament and realize that that God uh, never changes, that He's the same, and that uh, if you don't understand what He says about Himself in Isaiah and the different places about He's one, there'll never be another God formed after Him, that there's no God beside Him, that He's the only God, that He created all things by Himself. And if you don't get all this stuff, you're going to have a hard time understanding who Jesus is. And then you'll have a hard time understanding that there's not uh, three persons, but there's one God, Manifest in flesh, Jesus Christ. God in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And so if we don't uh, look at the entire book, we have a hard time explaining certain scriptures and we, uh, we shy away sometimes because, I, oh, I hope they don't ask me what that means. Or, you know, even some other things. We'll talk about maybe this on a different night, but I hope they don't ask me who he was praying to when he was on the cross. Uh, you know, we... I know there's just one, but I just don't know how to explain some of these scriptures. And so, uh, remember, in the Old Testament, the Lord said this. Remember, there's only one Lord. And in the Old Testament, the Lord said this. I am the Lord. I change not. That means whatever dispensation that he is in, he is the same. He will not change. And... If Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. If he's Lord, then he does not change. He is Lord of all. And so uh, we need to understand that uh, this same God from the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. In the New Testament, there was not a new religion created for America. Well, now, come on. That's, uh, we live in America. That's why a lot of, without even really... Knowing they do it, that's what a lot of American people think, is that the New Testament was created for the USA. That's not true. Salvation, salvation was to the Jew first, then the Gentile was granted access into it, grafted 
into it. That's Scripture. That's Bible. So you've got to look and see, believe it or not, you've got to look and see what the Jews believed about salvation to understand our salvation. Paul told Timothy, we love Paul. Oh, he wrote some great stuff. He said, Timothy, from a child you have known the Scriptures. Now, he didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He didn't have the letter to the Romans. He didn't, have all, he didn't have the New Testament to look at. He had Moses and the prophets. That was the scriptures that Timothy had. He said, Timothy, from a child you have known these scriptures that can make you wise unto salvation. Well, let me ask uh, you this. How are we saved? The Bible says there is no other name under heaven given whereby we, by that we must be saved. So we know that Jesus is the only way to salvation. But uh, Timothy, you will know that from what you learned from Moses and the prophets. Jesus himself said to the Jews, he said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote of me. Now you will not find his name, but you will see that Moses did write about Jesus. And you will see that David wrote about Jesus. And you'll see that Isaiah wrote about Jesus. And you'll begin to find that uh, when Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have salvation, and it's the scriptures that testify of me. And so, uh, we, but here again, when you look into uh, the Old Testament, you see what Moses wrote. Moses wrote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Never been two, never been three, always been one. And then he decided to manifest himself in the flesh. There is no eternal son. Uh, Jesus was begotten. That means he did not exist prior to uh, being conceived in uh, the womb of Mary and being birthed onto this planet. He did not exist except in the mind and plan of God. He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And so, but I got to get back. I'm, I'm teaching a, a whole Godhead message, but I'm trying to get to how do I explain when people say, well, if there's one, why, how was Jesus standing at the right hand of God? What's that mean? What did Stephen see there? So, first of all, to explain this, look at what we know about God. There's three things. Number one, he is a spirit. Number two, he is invisible. And number three, he is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere present. There's nowhere that he is not. You believe that? You believe that he's in China right now somewhere? Yeah, he is. You believe somewhere in Africa there's somebody praying and in the presence of the Lord? Sure. They're in a corner of this planet that he's not. He fills the heavens and the earth. He's everywhere. Uh, the Bible says, well, there's two or more gathered in his name. He's there in the midst. Well, there's two or more gathered all over this world in his name, and that means he's there. He's omnipresent. He's there. So you've got to remember the things that you know about God when you read scriptures like this, when you read phrases like this. So, so he is a spirit. In John 4 and 24, Jesus declared that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In Ephesians 4 and 4, it tells us that there is one body and one spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, it tells us that the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
So if there is one spirit and the Lord is that spirit and every knee is going to bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is that spirit. He is the manifestation, the express image of the invisible God. That's what you, you have to remember these things, uh, that uh, he's a spirit. So what is a spirit? Webster's Dictionary says that a spirit is a supernatural, incorporeal, rational being, invisible to human beings, but having the power to become visible at will. In other words, uh, he can make himself known whenever he wants to. That's the Lord. He can make himself known whenever he wants to. So when the Bible says that God is a spirit, it means that he cannot be seen or touched physically by human beings. As a spirit, he is intelligent. He's a supernatural being who does not have a physical human body. He's a spirit. Even Jesus said that uh, a spirit does not have flesh and bone. So remember these things. Now, if he's a spirit, since he is a spirit, that means he is invisible unless God chooses to manifest himself in some form that is visible to humans. When God spoke to Moses in Exodus 33 and 20, he said, You cannot see my face, for there uh, shall no man see me and live. He'd have to show himself to be seen. In John 1 and 18, it says, No man has seen God at any time. So nobody has seen him. So uh, not only has no human ever seen God, but no human can see God. 1 Timothy uh, 6 and 16 says, Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who no man has seen nor can see. You hadn't seen him and you can't see him because he's a spirit and he's invisible. And the only way you will see him is if he manifests himself to you. You've got to remember the things you know about God when you read these kind of scriptures so you can understand uh, what it says about him. In Colossians 1 and 15, tells us that, uh, he, that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. In other words, that's why Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I am the image of what you cannot see. I'm the image of the invisible God. 1 Timothy 1 and 17, unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible. I'm just trying to drive the point home. You've got to remember that he is invisible. And then next, that he is omnipresent. And so because God is a spirit, he can be everywhere at the same time. And he is the only spirit that is truly omnipresent. Other spirits, the demonic spirits, they can't be all over the world at one time. Even Satan can't be everywhere at the same time. These spirits are confined to specific locations. And when you read scripture, you'll see that they are. But God can be anywhere he wants to be. He can be everywhere all at the same time. And he can work all over the place. They can be people in Georgia, in Texas, in California, in Utah, uh, all getting the Holy Ghost at the same time. Healings can be happening at the same time. Revival can be happening. God can be working uh, here and in China or Africa or wherever else he wants to be working while he's working here because he can be anywhere because the scripture says where there's two or more gathered in his name, he's there in the midst. He is not uh, stuck in one location. He's not on a schedule that says, well, 
I'm coming through. We don't have to schedule the Lord for revival. I'll be coming through. Uh, when can you fit me in? Anytime we get together, we can have that because where they're get, we're gathered in His name, He's there in the midst. And so He can be there at any time. God is uh, Solomon. Let's just look at some scriptures letting us know that He's omnipresent. Solomon said this in 1 Kings 8 and 27, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. God declared his own omnipresence by saying in Isaiah 66 and 1, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So he's everywhere. There's nowhere that God is not. Even one psalmist said, It doesn't matter where I go, uh, you're there. I can go high heavens, go down to hell. I can go to the othermost parts of the sea. I can go all, you'll find me. You'll be there. There's nowhere that I can hide from you. You are always everywhere. Paul said in Acts 17 that the Lord is not far from every one of us, for in him we live, move, and have our being. So he's not far from every one of us. He's not just talking to the group that he's standing there right now. He's talking about to anybody, anywhere that believes in the Lord. So these are things that we're going to get back to the phrase in a minute, but these are things that you have to remember about God or you're not going to understand how to explain the right hand of God. So uh, God, again, he's everywhere. There's nowhere that he's not. When God uh, comes down to earth, heaven's not empty. He's everywhere. He is still just as much in heaven as ever. Even Jesus was talking to the Jews one time, and he, he referred to the Son of Man uh, that's in heaven. Well, he's the Son of Man, and he's standing there looking them in the face talking because he can be everywhere all the time because he's God manifest in the flesh. He can act uh, simultaneously in heaven and on earth or at several locations on earth. We must recognize the magnitude of God's omnipresence and not limit him by our human experience. We can't, we, we can't be in two places at once. We wish we could be. The closest we can get is FaceTiming somebody. Then they can see you no matter where they might be, but you're still here. You're not really there. Uh, but God, when he's here, he's really here and he's really there or there or on the other side of the world or wherever he wants to be. He's everywhere. Now, now that we know that he's a spirit, he's invisible, that he's omnipresent, it, it would beg the question, does God have a body? But since he's an invisible spirit and he's omnipresent, he does not have a body as we know it. He, 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 has a, he walked this earth in the flesh as a human, but then he was glorified and he's now in his glorified state. Uh, but as a human... Walking on earth, that body of Jesus on this earth was never in two places at one time because that wouldn't be human flesh. That wouldn't be, he could, he could say, well, I really need to touch somebody in Jerusalem, but I also need to touch somebody over here in uh, Bethlehem. I, all right, and then I'll just show up in both places. That's not how he would do. He, he, had, he had a human body while he was here on this earth. The Bible does not record any permanent bodily manifestation of God until Jesus Christ was born. And that was uh, the Savior was born. The angels declared it, for unto you a Savior is born. We 
We know Isaiah wrote that unto us a child is born, a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Who's going to be called that? The son, the child that was born, which was Jesus Christ, the mighty God, the everlasting father. You can't separate them. So outside of any of the temporary manifestations of God and outside of the New Testament revelation of God in Christ, this is why you read things in the Old Testament that, uh, that make you think that God has hands, eyes, feet, things like this. Any scriptural reference to eyes, hands, arms, feet, heart, and any other bodily part of God are examples of figurative language or, this is a long word, anthro, anthropomorphisms. I hope I don't have to say that again. Anthropomorphisms, which means it is an interpretation of the non-human in terms of the human so that humans can understand it. The Bible says that God is a, uh, or that David was a man after God's own heart. That does not mean uh, a, a, a pumping muscle that pumps blood. He wasn't talking about a heart like an organ that we need a heart transplant, thing like that. When he said he was talking about that heart, he was talking about God's intellect, his emotions, his character, his ways, not a blood pumping organ. But he says that so we can understand it. Uh, when God said heaven was his throne and the earth was his footstool, uh, he was describing his omnipresence, not a pair of his literal feet propped up on the globe. God's not sitting back in an easy chair somewhere with his feet propped up on earth. That's not, that's not what he's talking about, but you get that. Heaven's his throne, earth is his footstool. He's everywhere at one time. When God said that his right hand spanned the heavens, he described his great power and not a large hand stretching through the atmosphere. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Does not mean that God has physical eyes in every location, but it indicates his omnipresence and his omniscience. Proverbs 15, that's in Proverbs 15.3. When Jesus said uh, he cast out devils by the finger of God, he did not literally grab a big finger out of the sky and punch devils out of people. That is not what he did, but he was, ex he was exercising the power of God. It says that uh, the blast of God's nostrils was not literal particles emitting by giant heavenly nostrils when the Red Sea was parted. It was the east wind, but uh, God sent that wind, and so uh, to help us understand it in that poetic sense, by the blast of his nostrils, but it wasn't really God going... I'm not going to really blow because I don't know what might happen. So I, I don't want people running out of the sanctuary. So, uh, but you get what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to help you understand. And so uh, literal, a literal interpretation of all these visions and, and physical descriptions of God uh, would mislead us about who God is and what he looks like because you can't see the spirit of God. In short, we believe God as a spirit does not have a body unless he chooses to manifest himself in a bodily form, which he did in the person of Jesus Christ. He is not even visible to other spirit beings unless he chooses to manifest himself in some way. Because 1 Timothy 3.16 says, God was manifest of the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. No, they don't even see him unless he is in a form that they can see him. You know, he came to Abraham 
two angels and the Lord came to Abraham. The two angels went on to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord stayed back and talked with Abraham, and he came in the form of a man. He came in a form that Abraham could see, uh, and he was also there in a form that the angels could see. When he was seen of angels, uh, you know, we, we think about when uh, God was on this earth, when he was manifest in the flesh, but for even for the angels to see him in that spiritual sense, he has to uh, be in a form that they can see him in because he's the invisible God. Invisible is invisible. It don't mean nothing else but invisible. That's exactly what it is. So there is no uh, possibility of separating God and Jesus. There is no God that is visible outside of Jesus Christ. The only God you will ever see will be Jesus Christ. Because he, nothing will ever, I'm the Lord, I changed not invisible God. And so uh, we see all these things. Well, I'll tell you, I'm all over in my notes right here. You can't separate him. From, from the Lord because I and my Father are one. Jesus said that. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's the only way. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten hath declared him or made him known, made him manifest. And so now we'll go back to Stephen and what he saw. And so uh, remember now when we're reading about Stephen, I'm going to read it again. I got this book to go to help me with some of these notes today because my handwriting is all over the place. But so we, we read about Stephen. He's being stoned. And in verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, looks up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. So what did Stephen see? He sees the glory of God. Does that mean that there's two manifestations of God in heaven? If the scripture is true that we have already read, there's no way that he could see anything but one because God is invisible. And the scripture says that he can't, no man has seen him and he can't be seen. It does not say he saw the spirit of God. It says he saw the glory of God. Now, God's glory could be manifest, and it could be strong, and it could be powerful. The glory of God filled the, the temple, and the priest could not even stay in there uh, to minister because of the glory that came down. Uh, it, the, it was the glory of God. And so a physical interpretation of the right hand of God is incorrect because God's a spirit, and God does not have flesh and bone. Jesus said that himself. If... Uh, if God is a spirit, and if he's invisible, and if he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, then he's here, right? Where's he at? I want somebody to go stand on his right side right now. Come on, go, 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 go sit down on his right hand. You know why you can't? Because he don't have a right or a left or a front or a back. We do, but he don't. Because he's as high as the ceiling, as low as the floor, as wide as the walls, front to back. He's, all, he's, he's in your chair with you right now. He's, in, he's living inside of you. There's no way for you to, to determine uh, where he is that you could get a geographical location of his right side. There's no right hand, physical hand with five fingers on it of God. It don't exist. And that's why 
uh, a physical interpretation of that uh, is misleading and it's incorrect. And when people ask that question, you know automatically that they do not understand who God really is. They haven't looked at the scripture to see what it says about the God that they serve. So remember, no one has seen God at any time, nor can a human see him. That's John 1 and 18 says, no man has seen him at any time. Uh, we, can't, we haven't seen him. We can't see him. God is a spirit, and as such, he is invisible. He does not have a physical right hand unless he chooses to manifest himself in a human form. You know, one time there was a king, and they were having a big dinner, and they saw a hand, and it was writing on the wall. God chose to do it that way so they could see that. He could have just made the writing appear on the wall, but he showed them that hand. God manifest that hand so they could see that and see what was happening. But unless God shows himself or chooses to manifest himself, it's not there. We know Stephen did not literally see God apart from Jesus. If he saw two persons, why would he ignore one of them and pray to Jesus only? Why would he ignore, uh, Stephen being a Jew, why would he ignore the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and only talk to Jesus, the son of the carpenter? When he called on God, he said, Lord Jesus. He called him by his name. So, uh, and if he saw separate physical manifestations of the Father and the Son, why didn't he see the Holy Ghost? Where was he at? When you read Acts 7 and 55, you'll realize that Stephen did not see God apart from Jesus. Verse 55 does not say that he saw the Spirit of God, but that he saw the glory of God and Jesus. And then in verse 56, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. The only image, visual image or person that Stephen actually saw was Jesus Christ. But I, I, I was studying this day and I said, when did Stephen ever see Jesus before? Because I don't read anything about him until the book of Acts. I don't know that he ever saw Jesus do any miracles. I don't know that he ever saw him walk, you know, walk on water. I don't know if he's in that multitude of 5,000 that got fed. I have no idea. But what I do know is that when people see the Lord or hear from the Lord in this glorified state, they realize that it ain't nobody but the Lord. When Paul was struck down on the road to Damascus and, he, and Jesus spoke to him, he didn't say, hey, Paul, this is Jesus. Let me tell you something. He went ahead, saw why you persecute me. Who are you, Lord? When that, that bright light, he said there was a light. It was so bright, it was brighter than the sun. And it, he said, I could actually tell that there was a, a brighter light than this sun. You know what that was? That was the glory of God. And he knew that it was the Lord. And he said, who are you, Lord? And so I don't know that Stephen ever saw Jesus while he walked this earth. But when he looked up in the, and saw the heavens open, he said, I see him. I see the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand. That's what he said. He, saw, he only saw Jesus. And so uh, if what he saw was the glory, then you have to look at what the Scripture says about the glory of God. Isaiah 42 and 8 and 48 and 11 both declare the same things. I am the Lord, that's my name. I will not give my glory to another or neither praise the graven images. And then uh, in 48 and 11, for my own sake, even for my own sake will I do it, 
For how should my name be polluted? I will not give my glory unto another. I'm not going to let it. You know, when something's polluted, it's mixed with something else. He said, I'm not going to let my name be mixed in with anything else. I'm the Lord. That's my name. There's no other name given than the name of Jesus. That's the name of the Lord. And so uh, he said, I won't give my glory to another. John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Whose glory? The Word's glory or God's glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He said the only way that we could see the glory of God is in Jesus Christ. So we're, we're getting there. Don't worry, we're getting there. And then in Hebrews 1 and 3, it tells us that Jesus, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When you read uh, in... Um, uh, the scripture, again, Jesus tells them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't have to look anywhere else. Other problems arise if we take the right hand of God in a physical sense. Ask yourself these questions. Is Jesus sitting on the right hand of God as recorded in Acts 2.34? Or is Jesus standing on the right hand of God as recorded in Acts 7.55? Is he sitting or standing? Is Jesus sitting on top of God's outstretched hand? Or is Jesus sitting next to God's right hand? Is Jesus in the Father's bosom, which John 1 and 18 says? Or when you get to the book of Revelation, which describes one throne in heaven and one who sits on that throne, does the Father sit on the throne and does Jesus sit beside it? What about the fact that it says Jesus is the one seated on the throne? One throne, one sitting on it. King of kings and Lord of lords. The king sits on the throne. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The king sits on the throne. So obviously when Stephen sees this and talks about I see him on the right hand, then it is just like uh, the right hand is throughout the scripture. It is a figurative uh, language. It is so that we can understand uh, who he is, what he's doing uh, In the scripture, after this, we'll show you something. So now you'll get an understanding of the, the right hand of God, the figurative part of it. The book of Psalm mostly has uh, different scriptures concerning this. But in um, Psalm 16 and 8, David wrote, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. So does that mean that the Lord was always only on David's right side? Because he's everywhere. But David said, I've set him at my right hand because my right hand is where the power is. And I want uh, God to be my power. David was a king and he had power and authority that God had given. He said, I want the Lord at my right hand because that's where I get things done. In Psalm 77 and 10, it says, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. So is he only remembering the right hand of God? See, if you're thinking of a physical hand, then that scripture doesn't even make any sense. Uh, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'm just going to remember the number of years that God had a right hand. 
Psalm 98 and 1 declares the, that his right hand and his holy arm has gotten him victory. Does that mean that God put his left hand behind his back and only fought with his right hand? It doesn't make sense. Psalm 109 31 says uh, that the Lord shall stand at the right hand of the poor. He's going to be where they need him. It's what, what we understand it to mean, but, but to read it as a geographical place, that the only place that God stands for the poor is at their right hand. That doesn't make any sense. Isaiah 62 and 8 says, My right hand has spanned the heavens. And then again, the Lord has swore by his right hand. So did God reach out a giant hand, cover the sky, or did he put his left hand on his right hand and swear by his right hand? It's not a physical hand that he's talking about. Remember, he's invisible. He's, he doesn't have a hand with five fingers. He doesn't have feet with uh, ten toes. He, that's not, he doesn't have those kind of eyes because they're over the righteous. Yeah, but there's righteous people everywhere. It means he's everywhere and he can see everything all the time. The right hand is not a location. It is a symbol of God's power, of his strength, and of his salvation. To answer all these questions, uh, we know that he's not talking about uh, a physical hand when he mentions these, when the psalmist wrote all these scriptures, he's not talking about a physical hand, but he's talking about the right hand of power. We have to understand, and when people ask you this, what does it mean? You need to be able to tell them that the right hand of God is figurative, symbolic, or poetic so that we can understand uh, what God's trying to do in that situation. The right hand signifies strength, power, importance, and preeminence, just like it would today if we said it. You ever heard anybody say, well, he's my right-hand man? What does that mean? He's the guy that gets things done. He's the one that I sit here and manage. He's my right hand. He's doing everything for me. I'm just managing it. He's the one actually doing these things. He's my right-hand man. Or I would give my right arm for that. We think it's so important or so valuable that we would give our right arm for it. It's the same way. There's a, a Bible scholar by the name of Bernard Ram, and he says God's almightiness is spoken of in terms of a right arm because among men the right arm is the symbol of strength or power. Preeminence is spoken of as sitting at God's right hand because in human social affairs the right hand position with reference to the host, was the place of greatest honor. And so when it talks about Jesus sitting on the right hand, it's because uh, the right hand of God is because Jesus has all the power. All power in heaven and earth is given unto him. Isn't that what he said? That's what he said. All power in heaven and earth. His, his name is above every name. It's the only saving name. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He has all authority. He has all preeminence. He's the one winning all the victories. Come on. So to see Jesus at the right hand of God is to see him in the role that he was designed to fulfill, to be the Savior of all the world, not to be the second person in the Godhead. Because the Godhead, he's not even in the Godhead. The Godhead's in him. The Bible says all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. 
Everything that God is was manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ. There's some other scriptures that show uh, this right hand of power. Exodus 15 and 6 says, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Psalm 98 and 1 and Psalm 110 and 1 both associate the right hand of God with victory over enemies. When the Bible speaks of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, it means Jesus has all the power and authority of God because he was God manifest in the flesh. Jesus said this in Matthew 26 and 64. Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. When he said that, when he claimed to have all the power of God, uh, he declared himself to be God. And the Jews were so upset, they understood these claims, and in the very next verse, they accused him of blasphemy and get ready to stone him. One time Jesus asked them, said, why are you going to stone me? For what good work? And they said, it's not for good works that we want to stone you, but you being a man, make yourself God. You're saying you're God. They wasn't mad at him because he was saying he was a prophet or a preacher or a miracle worker. They were mad because he was telling them that he was God. He came unto his own, and they knew him not, and they received him not. Who came? This is in John chapter 1. God came into his own. Well, when did God come into his own? When he walked this planet in the flesh as Jesus Christ. So the, the Jews understood these claims, and, and uh, the high priest accused Jesus of blasphemy. And now they know what the Old Testament says about the right hand of God, what the symbolic meaning of that was. When he said, you'll see me sitting on the right hand of power, you see, he tells you right there, it's not a location. It's not beside somebody. It's with all power and all glory because God's not going to give his glory to another. All that glory was in him. So now in uh, 1 Peter 3 and 22, it, it will show us that the right hand means Jesus has all power and authority. It says, who has gone into heaven is on the right hand of God, angels, authorities, powers being made subject unto him. It says the same thing uh, basically in Ephesians. You read where it talks about Jesus having preeminence over all principality, power, dominion, names. Uh, this passage also links the right hand with the exaltation of Christ. In this connection, uh, Acts 5 and 31 states that him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So the right hand or the right arm of God is connected to salvation the power to provide salvation. Well, the only one that can provide salvation is the Lord, the Lamb of God slain from the foundational world. John saw him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The angel said, You'll call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He's the Savior. And that right hand being exalted with his right hand means that this is the Savior of the world. Not a physical location. It's not, if you can't see God, that spirit, because he's invisible, then you can't tell left side, right side, front side, back side. So how could uh, Stephen look up and see Jesus on the right hand of God? 
And he never said he saw it. He just said he saw the glory of God, which Jesus had. And so there are other verses of Scripture that speak of the right hand of God as representing the deliverance and victory that God gives to his people. Isaiah 59 and 16 says his arm brought salvation. And so anytime that there's a description of Jesus on the right hand of God, it indicates that Jesus is the expression of God's saving power, the right-hand man. This concept uh, harmonizes with the association of the position of Jesus on the right hand of God with his role as our mediator and particularly in his work as our intercessor and our high priest. And so once you understand what the Scripture says about the right hand of power, about the right hand of God, And now you realize that this is talking about Jesus having all the power in heaven and in earth to save, to deliver, to heal. He's the healer of all our diseases. He's the forgiver of all our iniquity. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. There's nobody that can't be saved by him. It's uh, whosoever will let him come. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. His name's above every name. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no other mention of anybody else, just him. And so to see him at the right hand is not to see him in a physical location. And when people say, well, you know, uh, if all they read is the New Testament, then they're going to believe that Trinitarian doctrine because they're going to see Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And, And that carnal mind is going to think, well, a father and a son and a spirit. There's got to be three. But the scripture says these three are one. I and my father are one. Again, I'm just reiterating scripture. You can't change what Jesus said. And he wasn't mistaken. He wasn't kidding. And he wasn't confusing. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Quit looking around. He's not on the, I'm not on his right side. He's not, there's nothing here. He's not sitting there. If you've seen me, You have seen the Father. But then there's the scriptures that say, well, you know, I don't understand why it says he sat down on the right hand of God. And I was thinking about that today and uh, just studying and looking through it and thinking about, and I remembered another time that Jesus sat down. It says, uh, and I'll try, I don't see what time it is. I don't want to go long, just for, for time's sake. In the, in the book of Luke, if you want to read it, Luke 4, 17 through 21, uh, Jesus comes into the, the synagogue and they give him the book of Isaiah. He opens the book and he, re- he reads this scripture. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them in the synagogue fastened on him. Then then he says, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And I realized that when he read that scripture, and he shuts that book and he sits down, then he explains Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. When everything's done, I'm going to sit down. I don't have to, this scripture's fulfilled. I don't have to read anything else. 
and he sat down. And when we read scriptures that says that Jesus has sat down on the right hand of God, uh, you know, instead of just saying, well, he's there, or he's just standing there, or he's at the right hand, it's saying that Jesus at some point received complete glorification, power, and authority uh, in time. There was a point in time where he, he, he got it all. He had to finish what he was doing. He didn't make that claim about all power in heaven and earth till the end. He didn't make these things until uh, he knew that it was done. You know, he didn't say it was finished on the cross till it was finished. And even in the book of Revelation, it doesn't, and when he's showing John some of these things, until all the stuff is done, then he says, it is finished. Right here, he, this scripture is fulfilled, so I'm sitting down. He's showing that when it's done, I don't have to stand here and read anymore. This scripture is fulfilled today. Uh, nobody else is coming. Nobody else is going to come and fulfill this. I'm the fulfilling of this scripture. And so he sat down. And so this exaltation begins with his resurrection and is completed at his ascension. All, at that time, he freed himself from all human limitations and physical restraints, which is the opposite of the self-limitation to which he submitted himself to in his incarnation while he walked this earth. He completed his role as a human being uh, on this earth as the sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, and then he goes to sit down with all power and authority. No longer does Jesus submit himself to human frailty and weakness. No longer is he the suffering servant. No longer are his glory, majesty, and other divine attributes hidden from the casual onlooker. He now exercises his power as God through a glorified human body. He now displays and will display himself as Lord of all, the righteous judge, and the king of the whole earth. That is why Stephen did not see Jesus Christ as an ordinary man, but he saw him the way John saw him. He had appeared uh, with his glory. He saw him with the glory of God and the power of God. Just like John saw him uh, in Revelation 1 when he s sees Jesus, and the, the Lord begins to speak and says, you know, I'm the Almighty, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, uh, the one that was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. Uh, he begins to tell him who he is. This is who Stephen sees but the reason he says I see him on that right hand is because I see him with all the power and glory that was coming to him when he finished his work here on earth. So uh, this exaltation, glorification, and unveiling of Christ uh, culminates at his ascension when Jesus is about to leave them in Mark 16 and 19. It says, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. The phrase sat down indicates that the sacrificial work of Christ is not continuing, but it is complete. And that doesn't mean people can't still be saved. He didn't say the work of salvation. He said this sacrificial, this uh, work of Christ, this being the Lamb of God, he's not going to go to the cross another time. He's not going to bleed anymore. He suffered once. He died once. He resurrected. All power in heaven and earth is given to him, and he ascended to sit down with all the power and all the glory. Hebrews 1 and 3 says, When he had by himself purged our sins, and he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When he was done, when he had finished, purged means it was done. Not while he's purging. It says, but after he had done this, he sits down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And then in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, he gives us an idea 
of the priesthood. Jesus is our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We know that he's our high priest. Um, but the, the priesthood that was still here, it says every priest stands. Look at their position. They stand daily because they're not done ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So after he was done, he sat down with all power and all glory, everything that uh, was that was of God, now he's there. God manifest in the flesh, finished the work, and he sat down. He's not sitting on the right side of God. That would mean that you would be able to see that Scripture couldn't even be right. It couldn't be true. Because God, if, if I could see him and see Jesus, then when was he ever invisible? If he's the Lord and he changes not, why why, why would I be able to see him all of a sudden if I looked up into heaven? And again, why would I be able to see the Holy Ghost? Where is he at? Where is that third throne at? Does he not have a throne? Does he not get one? But you can't apply uh, human knowledge like that to these, these scriptures. That's why Paul warned us, said, you need to beware and don't be spoiled. Don't let any man spoil you after philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of the world. You know, uh, you, you can't uh, look at this and say, oh, yeah, that, that, he, was, he saw him on the right hand of God. That means there's a little chair right there beside the throne and Jesus was sitting on it. Jesus is the king. He's not going to sit anywhere but on the throne. The right hand, because of what we've read in Scripture, and we've proved it through numerous Scriptures, Never is meaning a physical right hand with fingers and, and knuckles and fingernails and, and all those things. It's not a hand like that. It is the power, authority, the preeminence of God. And that's what Jesus has. All power in heaven and earth is given unto him. And so when someone says, well, well you know, he saw Jesus on the right hand of God. Sure he did. He, but he didn't see God. He said he saw the glory, the glory. And, and Jesus got that glory because he is God. The only God that you will ever see will be Jesus Christ. I'm going to sum it up with what something Brother Bernard said. I liked the way he, he kind of wrapped this up. He said, we would encounter many inconsistencies if we were to interpret the description of Jesus on the right hand of God to mean a physical position between two gods with separate bodies, if we understand it as symbolic of the power, strength, authority, preeminence, victory, exaltation, and saving ability of Jesus as manifested in flesh, then we eliminate the conflicting concepts. Furthermore, this interpretation is consistent with the use of the phrase right hand of God throughout the entire Bible. The right hand reveals the omnipotence and absolute deity of Jesus and vindicates the message of one God in Christ. So back to the original question, what did Stephen see? It is apparent that he saw Jesus. He said he did. 
Isaiah 45 says, uh, as concerning the coming Messiah, it says this, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. That's what it said Stephen saw, the glory, Jesus Christ and the glory of God. Jesus is the revealed glory of God. Stephen saw the glory of God when he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus radiating the glory that he possessed as God and with all the power and authority of God. In short, he saw the exalted Christ. He saw Jesus not merely as a man, but as God himself with all glory, power, and authority. And that is why before he died, he called on God by saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's it. That's enough. There's a lot of scriptures that, you know, people want to, they want to argue about them and, and fight about them. And you don't have to argue and fight. You just tell them what the scripture says. Show them what it says. Sometimes people just don't know. And they just need somebody to show them. I did. You did. Some, we didn't, we weren't born knowing it all. We learn and learn, and we learn for years. Always studying, always learning, always trying to grow closer to God. But, um, but when people uh, start uh, misinterpreting those scriptures and, and, and even call, you know, might call you a liar because uh, you believe it that way, you, you, you know, I, I just realized just by talking with somebody this week, I said, I'm, I need to just teach on this because there's a lot of people that even though I know that they believe one God without a shadow of a doubt, but not sure how to explain what it means for Jesus to be on the right hand of God. But now you know that the right hand never, ever, ever indicated a geographical location. Let me tell you, as far as if he, if he did have a right hand or a left hand physically, I'm sure both of them will be equally as powerful. But it's not about that location. God's everywhere. It's not about a location. Let's stand together tonight. We, I think we're right on 8 o'clock, so we're right where we want to be. Don't be spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit. Just read the Word. Read the scripture. It'll tell you. It'll prove it to you. You don't have to. You don't have. You know, there's nothing wrong with studying, you know, and reading other books and things like that. But, but when it comes down to it, the Bible will tell you what, what you need to know. I promise you that. Now, there's not an answer outside the Bible. You may not be able to find it in there yet, and, and you might look somewhere else to help you dig it up. But that answer won't exclusively be in some other book. It's in that scripture somewhere. So search the scriptures, Jesus said. Search the scriptures. Look at them, read them. If you can't, you're like, wow, what's that mean? It's got the, if God's not the author of confusion, then, then the answer's in there. Understanding's in there, but you've got to read the whole book. You, you can't just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can't just you know, read Romans and, you know, every once in a while jump over there in them short little books like 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You got to read that whole, you got to read Genesis. Yeah, I know you don't, nobody wants to read and so-and-so begat so-and-so for about eight hours. 
Because that's what you're going to be doing when you get in that Old Testament. Some of them books, oh my goodness. It just goes on and on and on. But even that, to me, means something. When it's a whole chapter of names that you can't pronounce. But even that means something to me. Like, why? Why all these names? I'm never going to read about them nowhere else in the Bible. Some of them you don't. But isn't it wonderful that in the middle of all those names that you do know about, Jesse and David and Solomon, that there's somebody there that God knows their name. Let me tell you, God knows your name too. And you might just feel like I'm just somebody wedged in between Jesse and David, but you, you mean something to God. And so he put them names in there for a reason. So you just remember God loves you, thinks you're great. We do too. Glad to see you in the house of the Lord tonight. Let's lift our hands and pray and we'll be dismissed by this prayer. Jesus, we love you tonight and we're thankful to, to know who you are. We're thankful tonight, God, that, Lord, we can preach your word and read your word and study your word and find out your truth. Lord, help us to all strive to be better, to grow closer to you. Lord, I know we don't know it all, but let us always not just be learning, but let us come to the knowledge of the truth. We want to be in the truth. So we love you tonight. Keep us safe. Watch over us, Lord, and bring us back together. When it's your will, we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Give the Lord a hand tonight. Hallelujah. Thankful for him. Thankful for him. Thankful for the Lord. I know that was a lot of scripture read tonight, but, um, but it was just so you would understand. As you see now, when you're reading the Old Testament, and you see that phrase, right hand, you realize that it's talking about power, victory, authority. And that's the same thing that Jesus had all of, all power in heaven and earth given unto him. Amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed tonight. Be careful. Stay warm. And we'll see you Saturday night. Don't forget the field has their banquet 530. Everyone's invited. And if we don't see you then, Sunday, the Lord willing, 11 o'clock. God bless you.